0: So Ruth is a little book uh, from the rustling of pages. I, I, I find it's, it's kind of hard to remember where it is. Uh, it's after the book of Judges and before 1 Samuel. So if you're, as you're turning there, I just want to you that your life is a story. Okay, everybody's life is a story. And so that's why we're drawn to stories. That's why we're drawn to narratives because that's what life is. So you may be maybe uh, minded and kind of like maybe toward, you know, facts or or math or engineering, all sorts of things. And we kind of have different interests and, and maybe a lot of times guys like statistics and all this kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is your life is a story. And so it's a story that ranges wildly. Sometimes your story is a comedy. Sometimes your story is a family drama. Sometimes your story is a suspense thriller. Sometimes it's a coming-of-age tale. Sometimes it's a horror movie. All of those things. Sometimes it's a mystery. Sometimes it's an inspiring adventure. And the list goes on and on. And so since our lives are stories being written and directed by a creator, then we would do well to learn from the other stories that the Lord has written and directed. See, sometimes we kind of go through our story and we think it's just kind of a bunch of events. It's just a bunch of different random happenings. And we forget that behind the scenes, God is writing this story. God's directing this story. And he's been doing this for a very, very long time. He's been writing and directing stories for a very long time. And so what has to happen for you and I, if we're to, to make use of these narratives in the scriptures is to say, what can I learn from what God's done and directed in other people's lives? What can I learn from what he's done in the past? And here's a problem that you and I run into oftentimes though, I don't know if you're like me, I've done this. Someone will be telling a story and they were actually there. I wasn't there, but I'll go ahead and interrupt and try to tell the end of the story. I don't know if you've ever done that sort of thing. And we do that all the time in our own lives. We jump in at this point in the story. Oh, I know how this is gonna end. It's gonna be terrible. It's gonna go bad. We are the world's worst false prophets. Right. Every day. Oh, this is what's going to happen. It's going to happen. No, just be honest. Probably no day that you've ever lived has actually turned out the way you thought it was going to. So so it's important for us to kind of really look. And so as you come to the the book of Ruth today with me, my hope is is that you would learn some things that you would be interested in this book. That's a book you would come back to time and time again, because we're just going to scratch the surface. We're just gonna go really quickly over it, just hit kind of some points that I see here, but we really wanna see some lessons to aid us as we faithfully fulfill the role that our creator has written for us. Because what we're gonna find here in the book of Ruth are two moms. We're gonna find Naomi and we're gonna find Ruth. Now, now, spoiler alert, Ruth doesn't become a mom till near the end of the story, okay? But these are two faithful women that we want to honor today on Mother's Day and kind of learn lessons from them and to see kind of how these faithful women um, lived out their lives. And the key verse that I'm going to kind of start you off with is Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we, that's believers, are his workmanship or Greek poema, which means masterpiece or poem or work of art. Created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that God has a script for our lives. And that God gives it to us, but we have a choice on are we going to follow that script? Now, the problem with that is there's a lot of blank spaces in the script. It's not a script like in a movie where we just know the lines and we hit that. No, no, no. We don't have all of our lines. We have kind of our motivations. We have guidance. We have the Holy Spirit leading us. But at the end of the day, we have this role to play, these works to live out that God has called us to. And I think that if we look at the book of Ruth with fresh eyes, maybe we're going to see some things we've never seen before. Because I think the danger is if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, I know how it's going to turn out. All right, I'm just gonna go ahead and nod my head at Steve and ignore him until I can get to some more cinnamon rolls. <laughs> okay, what I would encourage you to is, is maybe look at this afresh because as I looked at this book again, as I felt clearly that the Lord drew me to this book for today, I, I mean, I was, I, was, I was crying in my office this morning going over it. There's so many beautiful things here, so much grace and mercy, and it's a wonderful book because God is working throughout, but never once does God speak in there. And so it's one of those books where God, you don't see him directly intervening, but his fingerprints are over the whole thing. So let's start off. Ruth chapter one, we'll start off in verses one and two. It says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, And the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Okay, so what we have here, there's all kinds of debate among commentators. When exactly in the book of, you know, in the time of Judges does this occur? Now, to remind you, children of Israel went into the promised land, conquered the promised land under Joshua. And after Joshua, we have the time of the judges. And after the time of the judges, we have the rise of the kings. Samuel's the last judge. And then we have the king, you know, King Saul. And then we have King David and on from there. So we don't know exactly when in the book of Judges this took place. You know, because there's some debates about kind of the genealogy at the end. Is it a complete gene- genealogy? Is it not? So I tend to believe it's toward the end of the book of Judges. I tend to believe that this book is kind of a bridge, the end of Judges, into the time of the kings. So with that said, let's, con- let's think about a few things here. Bethlehem, you recognize that? You recognize Bethlehem, of course, because that's going to be the place where Jesus Christ was born. And so what else do we know about Bethlehem? Well, Bethlehem is a city of David. So we're already having these tie-ins here. Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem. Now, ironically, Bethlehem means house of bread. Beth means house, Lehem means bread. It's a house of bread, but what's happening? There's a famine. So there's a famine there in Bethlehem, and this famine causes this family of four to move to Moab. You can go back later and look at the map at the back of your Bible. But what you'll find is you'll find there in in southern Israel that as you kind of look at the map and you look go east on the map, there's the Dead Sea. And then on the southeastern portion or coast of shore of the Dead Sea, that's where the land of Moab is. So that's where these people went. Continue on. Verses three through five says, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons Now, they took wives of the women of Moab, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth, and they dwelt there about 10 years. And both Melon and Kilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Okay, so they've all gone into the land, the land of Moab, so they're there for 10 years. But during that time when they're there, a lot of things happen. First of all, we see that Naomi's husband dies. So put yourself in Naomi's sandals for just a minute. She left looking for survival, looking for bread, looking for sustenance, comes to Moab. And while she's there, her husband passes away. And so she has her two sons there. And so her boys find Moabite wives to marry. One is Orpah and the other is Ruth. And they're for a total of 10 years. And, And so now though, after this 10 year period, what happens? Both of her sons die. This is a hard situation. Now, and this is where I kind of want to, when you come to the scriptures, I want you to take and say, what do the scriptures themselves say? Not do what commentators say. Because lots of commentators, man, they, or let me, let me back up. You know that old saying, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Mm-hmm. Sometimes commentators, myself included, can just be fools. They make all kinds of theology out of what happens in these first verses. And they teach, well, Elimelech, Malion. Is that his name? Or Mahlon and Kilion. Well, they all died because God was disciplining them for their disobedience. God was disciplining them for their disobedience. And so that's why they went to Moab. They married pagan wives. God took them out. Here's the only problem with that theory. Scripture doesn't support it. Show me in the book of Ruth where it says, and God took these guys out because of this. And so this is a huge danger that we as believers love to work backwards from a tragic event okay this tragic event occurred this tragic circumstance so let me let me work backwards and see how i can figure out how this is god's judgment upon this situation how this is a direct judgment of god that's a very very dangerous place to be believe it's in luke's gospel Some guys came to the disciples came to Jesus and they talked about to Jesus about, hey, you know, what about, um, you know, these guys that Pilate killed while they were offering their sacrifices? And what about these other people where, you know, this tower fell on them? And Jesus said, do you think these things happened because they were any worse sinners? He says, repent or you two likewise shall perish. Here's the deal. Whenever we kind of have this idea where we don't know if it's God's judgment or not, but we assume it's God's judgment. Here's what we're saying. We're better than these people because judgment hasn't fallen on us. Think about us, how many times could God have taken us out if that's how he does things? If God, every time you step out of line, God's just like, well, you're done. I should have been killed millions of times. The fact of the matter is I see this book not to be a book of God's judgment, but a book of God's mercy and grace, of God's faithfulness, of God's long suffering. So let's be careful. Now, if someone is robbing a bank, and they are killed in the process of robbing a bank, we could say, well, that's, a, that's consequences, right? For your sin, but we're not told that here. So let's be careful. I was listening to, to commentators on this this week and they just flippantly assume these things. And here's the thing to us, remember, just because people in the Bible doesn't mean they weren't real. These were real people. These are real people who encountered real things. So maybe, maybe Elimelech and his two sons were disobedient. God took them out, maybe, but we don't know. Maybe they were just normal everyday sinners like you and I and God, you know, it was their time to go and they went. So we don't know, but here's what we do know. Here's the lesson that we can take from this. As God writes our story, there will be hardships. There will be pain, there will be death, but it won't be for nothing. Elizabeth Elliot has written a book, said, I think it's called, your suffering is never for nothing. Okay, so it's important for us to realize that. You know, I'll be honest with you, in my own fallen flesh, I would love for everything at Mardell to be true. <laughs> I would love to get all those garish paintings that say all these good things that are gonna happen and hang them over my house as some kind of talisman against bad. I would love that for that to be true. That's not true. The Lord uses some, some, some dark paints in, in, the, in the painting he's, he's doing for your life and my life there is going to be hardship. There is going to be difficult. There is going to be hurt and grief. And there's going to be, why did this happen? And I can't understand it. That's just the story, but it's not the whole story. The fact of the matter is God will bring it around. And the end is going to be better than the beginning. I want to remind you of Romans eight I'm going to emphasize a few things here. Paul writes, and we know, we have a settled assurance, a knowledge that all Things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. The fact of the matter is our life, no matter how difficult, how hard in the moment it's gonna be, we're not to the last chapter yet. And so, to assume that it's going to turn out poorly, to assume that as a believer, God's not going to fulfill Romans eight twenty eight, to assume that He's not going to fulfill the things in Revelation, is to make God a liar. And it tells in the scriptures that it's impossible to please God if we don't trust Him. And so, so I want you, I want me to look at the book of Ruth and say, man, it is hard, it is difficult. What, however, these these guys died in Naomi's life. I understand how hard it must have been for her. But you know what? I know that at the end, God's going to work it out. And that's the same thing for your life. God is going to work it out. Verses six through nine says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. And therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Okay, so Naomi gets word. Okay, Bethlehem has bread again. So she's like, it's time to go home. I'm gonna go home to my homeland. I'm gonna go back to where I'm from. And so she basically is releasing her two daughters-in-law. And she's saying, you guys go back to your parents' house. You know, she wants them to be able to go find husbands for themselves. And so she is going to just release them. Now, what I want you to see here as we look at this whole thing, it seems clear to me that they love, that Naomi loves her two daughters-in-law and her two daughters-in-law love her, right? And, and so it's this beautiful picture here of Naomi having this affection for these two ladies. And it's interesting because a lot of commentators make a big deal about the fact that they're Moabites. And it make a big deal that they, they you know, they worship false gods, you know, because the Moabites were in false gods. And well, you know, here's the, here's the situation though. Does God love Gentiles? Does God, did God love you? When you are an unbeliever worshiping false gods, does God love you right now, even though there's false gods that you either know about or don't know about in your own life? And so, so I love this picture here. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. And so what we see also in verses eight and nine is Naomi asks for a blessing upon them, right? In the midst of, we're going to see Naomi's bitter. Okay. We know that she's bitter. We know that she's having a hard time, that she's got a lot of things, that she doesn't know why it's going that way. She still cares enough about her daughters, these daughters-in-law, to ask for a blessing upon them. We see that in verses 8 and 9. Notice, the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So she recognizes that these these girls have been faithful to her, that they've been faithful to to, um, their husbands, to her sons. And so she says, and she wants, she, she says, may the Lord grant you to find rest each in the house of her husband. And she's basically saying, man, may the, may the Lord give you guys husbands. May the Lord have his blessing upon you. And so just a beautiful picture. And I love the end of verse nine. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And so these girls, they love Naomi and they weep over her. And they weep over this parting. And so as we move on now to verses 10 through 13, we see how it continues. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that you, they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and would, should bear sons, um, would you wait for them till you were till they were grown? Would they restrain would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, okay, so basically she's telling them to leave, and they say, No, we want to go with you. And then Naomi's like, Here's the deal. I am not having any more kids. <laughs> I'm not having any more sons. You're gonna wait around you know, for 18 years so we can have it. It's not going to work. You guys go on home. And then we begin to see Naomi's anger toward the Lord. Now, it's interesting when I was younger, you know, I got saved when I was 22. And I don't know how early in my 20s that I read the book of Ruth, but I bet it was early. But I remember reading it all high and mighty. Reading the book of Ruth as a prideful young Christian who just knew so much. Naomi, your bitterness, I cannot believe you. And then you start to go through some things in life. And then all of a sudden, Naomi's a hero to you. All of a sudden, you're like, you go, Naomi, you tell him. you know, you understand it, right? You understand you're going to have things in your life that you're just angry with the Lord about. Why did it have to be this way? Why has his hand gone out against me? This isn't fair. And so when we deal with these unfulfilled expectations, when we deal with personal tragedies, when we deal with a variety of hardships that shake our faith, the the fact of the matter is we're going to be angry with the Lord. And someone who says, I've never been angry with the Lord, either they're lying or they've never been through something difficult. Because nobody but the Lord Jesus has walked perfectly with the Lord. Nobody except the Lord Jesus hasn't feared and wondered and not understood and what is happening. And and so here's what I want to say about that though. And and the the Lord can correct me if I'm wrong about this. You know, even though our anger with the Lord is misdirected, the Lord can take it. The Lord's got broad shoulders, okay? I I found this about life, you know, is, well, let let me get back up. I'm going to say that in just a second. I want to say this. God still has mercy and grace for us as we rage against him. God still has mercy and grace with us because sometimes we think, well, I really are angry with the Lord, but I'm gonna hide it from him. (laughs) What part of omniscience do we not understand? (laughs) He knows all things. I'm gonna bottle it up. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm angry with the Lord. So I'm gonna direct it toward my kids. I'm gonna direct it toward those people that I employ at work. I'm gonna direct it to someone else. And the Lord won't know. I'll kind of smile and be happy at church. And I'll put on the face and yeah, everything's going okay, brother. And no, but you need to have it out with the Lord. It says, pour out your complaint to the Lord. It says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. So, so you can have it out with the Lord, all right? And, and realize that the, the day is coming where if, if that kind of goes into your, you're becoming sinful about it or whatever, he'll, he'll take you down but the Lord can handle that. Please understand that. Here's a principle that i found in all of life. The more secure a person is, the better he can handle the false things people say about him. If you and I are insecure, we can't handle anyone saying anything about us because we're so fragile that as soon as someone says something about us, don't say that against me. I can't believe that. Don't say that. But the Lord can handle anything that we say against him because the the Lord's absolutely secure. (laughs) The The Lord is absolutely secure. So I'm not saying go home and, and have a license of like, well, Lord, Steve said I can say whatever I want to you. That's what I'm saying. But you can be honest with the Lord. You can tell that you don't understand, you're frustrated. And obviously ask the Lord to change that. Ask the Lord to, to cleanse your heart. Ask the Lord to take away your anger, all of those things. But be honest with him. Naomi is honest. She sees right now that the Lord is the one who's taken, the, taken or done these things against her. And she is struggling with that. And I appreciate her honesty. Verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And then she, then she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Okay, so Orpah kisses her one last time, and then she goes back, you know, and then she goes back to, to you know, her false gods, their and so, you know, a lot of people get get after Naomi about that. Oh, Naomi, can't believe that you're sending her back to her false gods and all that kind of stuff. Well, ultimately, you know, let's be honest, Orpah belongs to the Lord. Whatever the, the Lord can get a hold of her, Naomi's not you're in a very good condition right now to be a witness for the Lord. Okay, she's just not in that place. But then, then we begin to see Ruth and who Ruth is. And it's funny, kind of a little funny, because verses 16 and 17, this is often used um, in marriage ceremonies. And that's great. That's not the original context, right? The original context is actually a daughter-in-law expressing her faithfulness uh, to her mother-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or turn back from you, uh, from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Radical profession of faith. Here's the deal. Naomi wasn't a very good witness. (laughs) And yet somehow... Ruth believes in Naomi's God. And that's a, that should bring great relief to you and I, because you and I are not the greatest witnesses. And the more that people see of us, probably the, the less good of a witness we are. So, so the fact of the matter is that the Lord was at work here and the Lord loved Naomi. The Lord knew what Naomi needed. So he, the Lord's like, you know what? I'm gonna send Ruth with her. <laughs> she needs somebody like Ruth. And so I I love this. So wonderful picture of the faithfulness of Ruth here. And then notice, uh, and when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. (laughs) So Naomi saw the stubbornness of Ruth and she's just like, well, I, I, I guess you can come. Verse 19. Now, when the two of them Um, went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Right? Now they said, is this Naomi? Um, So it's 10 years since they've seen her. Right? 10 years since they've seen Naomi. And they recognize her, but also think about what grief does to a person. So Naomi has been in a foreign land for 10 years. She's dealt with a lot of grief. She's obviously had this emotional separation from Orpah. Ruth has decided to come with her. So Naomi probably doesn't look like she did 10 years ago. She just, it's, it's, it's just, she's been ravaged by the difficulties of life. And so they're asking, hey, is this her? Now, it's important to understand that Naomi means pleasant. That's what the name Naomi means but Naomi says that that's not her name anymore. Verse 20, but she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. Okay? Now, if you've read the book of Exodus, you may remember this. There's these waters that are bitter as Mara. And so Mara means bitter. So she's basically saying, don't call me pleasant anymore, call me bitter. That's that's her new name. Bitterness is her new name. I don't know if you guys remember an elf, you know, says, you know, you know, smiling's my favorite, working's your favorite, working's your new favorite. And, and so she's saying, bitterness, bitterness is my new favorite. She's kind of digging into this. She's saying, Call me Mara, bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She's feeling it. And she's saying that to everybody. She's saying, I feel bitter. I am bitter because I went out full. I went out with three guys in my family and now none of those guys are left. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay, so look at this, There's a lot of darkness here. As we think about Naomi and, and her bitterness here, we have to be careful of these false ideas that have come into our minds. We've, all, we've probably all done this. Someone has said something off color or inappropriate and then we've kind of scooted over as if a lightning bolt was gonna hit them. <laughs> Do you know that doesn't come from Christianity? That's from Greek mythology. That's from the the false gods of the Greeks, who, you know, they're just the false. If you've ever read any Greek mythology, there's some insecure gods. They can't take anyone saying against them. They're petty. They're incestuous. They're just a cesspool. And so you say something against a lightning to get a lightning bolt. That's not our God, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible has a plan. The God of the Bible is merciful and gracious. The God of the Bible sees the end from the beginning. The God of the Bible is doing something. And so as as frustrated and angry, as publicly defiant as Naomi is in the midst of this, God doesn't send a lightning bolt down. In fact, we're we're teased here at the end of verse 22 that, that something good is coming. Notice, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The harvest is coming. Good is coming up. And so, you know, Jesus says, unless a, a grain, a, you know, a piece of grain falls to the ground and dies, it won't produce much fruit. Naomi has died in certain ways. She, she's, she's died to these hopes and dreams that she had for her, for her family. She, she's died to kind of these things. And so she's feeling very bitter here, but you know what, his good news is God isn't bitter. God isn't frustrated. God isn't worried about this because God knows he's gonna do something and he's gonna do something beautiful in her life. Now, I think it's safe to say this point, Naomi is not in a good place, but even so, God is still working on her story. All right, chapter two. Now, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth and of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So Ruth a Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Okay, so I love this. They moved to Bethlehem, but guess what? They're destitute. Right, they don't have anything, and so there's there's kind of a, I would say it was not welfare; it's workfare. The, Israel had a workfare program, which basically for the poor people, you can glean the edges of the field. So you, if you are willing to go out and work, you can glean the edges of the field to provide for you and your family. So that's what Ruth is doing. So notice that Ruth doesn't sit on her hands. Ruth doesn't kind of join into the bitterness because don't forget, Ruth has lost her husband. Okay, it's not like Ruth is just kind of like, you know, Pollyanna, nothing's ever happened to her. And she's like, Naomi, it's gonna be great. She has had difficulty. She is a foreigner in a strange land. She's lost her husband. She's dedicated herself to a woman who's very bitter. And what is she doing? She says, I'm not just gonna sit around. I'm gonna go work. I'm gonna provide for us. I'm gonna see about doing something. And so I think for you and I, oftentimes when we're in that place of, of, of kind of feeling lost, kind of bitter is we need to get to work right? Lying in the bed is not the answer. Kind of get out there and do something. So even though Naomi is bitter, Ruth stays faithful to her. But here's the thing for us is we think about this and we, we, we honor Ruth, that Ruth is faithful to bitter Naomi. The question I ask you, is Ruth more faithful than the Lord? In other words, if Ruth can be faithful to bitter Naomi and we praise her for it, in our times of bitterness, will God not be faithful to us? Is Ruth more faithful than the Lord is? (laughs) No, of course not. And so God's mercy, grace, and long-suffering, don't forget who that's for. It's for sinners. People who are perfect don't need mercy, grace, and long-suffering. Jesus says it's not the well who need a doctor, but it's the sick who need a doctor. And so if we were perfect, we wouldn't need it. So for you today, for me today, and all our faults and failures, our bitterness, our anger, our frustration, all of those things, God's mercy and grace and long-suffering is available for us. We're the ones who need it. Verses three through seven. Now she left, and w- so this is Ruth. Ruth left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and this is, I love this and she happened huh,, huh just happens to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Okay, so a few things to notice right away. Ruth happens to stumble upon Boaz's field. Happens, really? It's the Lord guiding behind the scenes, doing what he's doing, directing. And so I think it's a beautiful thing and probably you've experienced this in your life. That is you're, you know, walking in the spirit, you're out kind of trying to do what the Lord wants you to do, then there's these divine coincidences, these divine appointments. The Lord works it all out. And then we see a little bit of the character of Boaz that when he goes there with his, his uh, reapers, he calls out to them, the Lord be with you, calling a blessing upon them. And then his, his workers seems like they like him and they say, the Lord bless you. So we see this, this guy with Boaz, he's about the Lord. He's about his workers. His workers are faithful to him. Verse five, then Boaz said to his servants who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Now, there's a couple, a few ways to take this. We don't know which one it is, but Boaz seems to be a guy who's attentive to what's going on in his field. He's attentive to his workers. And so he sees this woman he's never seen before. Well, who is this? Okay. It could also be because he's like, well, I'm, I'm unmarried. She's a good looking woman. Uh, who is this? You know, we're not sure that that's it. Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Bethlehem, small city in the ancient world, this woman who hadn't been there in 10 years comes back to town, says, I'm no longer named Pleasant. I'm now named Bitter. And hey, this Moabite girl comes with her. That's going to get around. That's going to get around town. And so, hey, this is that girl. And she said, Okay, so this is what Ruth had said to the workers. Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So in other words, Ruth is a hard worker, right? She got out there early. She's been working. She took a little break and she's still working. And then Boaz said to Ruth, hey, you will listen, my daughter. Will you, will you not, do not go into a, um, to a, to a, another field nor from here, but stay here close to my young women. Now I will stop there for just a minute because there's a couple of things I want to bring out about the fact that the Lord directed Ruth to, to Boaz's field, okay? Two verses from Proverbs. One is Proverbs sixteen nine nine says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And that man is just general man. It's a person, any person. So you can plan your way right? But the Lord's going to direct your steps as a believer. Proverbs twenty twenty four says, a man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? You and I don't know what our story is going to look like. You and I don't know the direction that we're going, right? We know that the ending is going to be good because that's what God said, but we don't know all the twists and turns, the mountaintops, the valleys, the plains along the way. And so we would be wise to say, well, whatever the Lord wants me to do, that's where I'm going to go and just take it a day at a time. It's interesting, somebody asked me yesterday after graduation, Emma graduated, and they said, well, you know, kind of what's plans and everything. I said, I'm just trying to take it a day at a time because that's what Jesus said. (laughs) She laughed about that, but that's really what Jesus told us, to live a day at a time. All right, continuing on there in verse nine, he says, let your eyes be on the field, which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you, should, that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me and all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have uh, come to a people whom you did not know before, okay? And, and so, so this is wonderful that Ruth already has this testimony, Ruth, the Moabitist, has an amazing testimony in the land of Bethlehem. And so Boaz, a man after the Lord, says, you know what? I, I want to help you out. I want to be a benefit to you. You have served the Lord, and so I'm going to help you. Please understand this, that as you serve the Lord, as you're obedient to the Lord, other believers are going to come alongside and say, hey, how can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can I support you? And so there's this wonderful picture of of these believers working together. And then I love verse 12. Notice, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. What a blessing Boaz puts on Ruth. May the Lord repay your work and give you a full reward and so please understand that anything that you do, this is what Jesus said. If you give a cup of cold water to one of my disciples, you will by no means lose your reward. And so it's important for us because in the midst of difficulty, hardship, in, the, kind of our, uh, in our Naomi times, we completely forget, neglect, don't believe the fact that God is gonna reward us. And one of the verses that's been on my heart that God's been challenging me with for months is Hebrews eleven six. That says this, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's really important because it says that if we don't have faith in God and what he's doing, it says it's impossible for us to please him. Can't be done. You can't please God apart from faith because we must believe that he is. But it doesn't stop there. We often think about, well, faith is believing that God is. And that, that's part of faith. But Hebrews eleven six says also and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So in other words, it pleases God for us as believers to trust that he's going to reward us. That 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 honors God to say, God, I know that what I'm doing for you is not for nothing that you're going to reward me. The day is coming when you're going to reward me in the way that you see fit and what's honorable, what's right. You're going to do that. That when you believe that God will reward you for whatever you've done, that honors him. And that if we don't believe that, that's displeasing to him. And so I love this that Boaz taps into that and says may, to Ruth, may the Lord reward you for this. All right, let's jump to verses 13 through 20. Then he said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, So this is Ruth talking. For you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. She sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her and they ate and were satisfied and, she, and kept some back. Then she rose up to glean. Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. In other words, she doesn't have to glean just in the edges, kind of already the sheaves that are already gathered, let her gather from there. Also let grain from the bundles fall purpose for her. (laughs) I love the setup. Um, Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Whoops, I dropped some from this bundle. I wonder who could have that. It's wonderful. And so uh, Boaz kind of putting the full court press on here. Uh, So she gleaned in the field until evening, beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So she just worked all day. And she took it up and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, so she brought it out and gave her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. Okay, so even in the midst of all that Naomi's going through and kind of the tumultuous heart that she has, notice she still wants to put a blessing on whoever blessed Ruth. She says, blessed be the one who took notice of you. So when she told her mother-in-law whom she had, uh, with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz, then everything changes for her in verse 20. Notice this. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Now, Naomi, for all of her issues, for all his problems, she's a true believer. And Naomi kind of understands the way that the Lord works. And so it, things click for her in verse 20. What does she understand? She says, the Lord's at work. How is it? that Ruth ended up at Boaz's field. Boaz is a close relative. She's kind of understanding about the kinsman redeemer, that this Boaz could be the one to redeem us, to get our land back, to give us a place to live, to give us security, you know, and, and notice that she says, blessed be he of Lord. In other words, blessed be Boaz, but who has not forsaken, notice, and then, but then she res- describes the Lord when she says the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. In other words, the Lord hasn't forsaken us. In the midst of our, in the midst of my bitterness, in the midst of just my ugliness, in the midst of my anger and frustration and public, you know, rebuke of the Lord, God hasn't forsaken His kindness to us. To us, the living, right? To to Ruth and Naomi, but also to the dead. It's a kindness to those who have died because their land is going to be redeemed, their name is going to be carried on. Verse twenty one. Ruth the Moabite said. He also said to me, you stay close to my young men until they finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and the people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Okay, so. One thing I want you to also note is kind of how Ruth is doing things. Notice we, we're not told that Ruth sat down and kind of continually harangued, um, you know, Naomi. You need to stop being bitter. You need to just get over it. You need to kind of work this out. You know, you know what Ruth did? Ruth just walked in, walked in obedience to the Lord. And Boaz walked in obedience to the Lord and that actually brought the change. So if, if you're kind of struggling with somebody in life and they're just like, a, they're a mess, you just keep walking with the Lord. So Ruth and Boaz is walking in obedience with the Lord, it helped lift Naomi out of her bitterness. It wasn't a direct, you do this. It was, I'm just gonna keep serving the Lord. And that's the best thing each and every one of us can do whatever comes in our life is to say, you know what, I am just gonna be about the Lord. I'm gonna seek to please the Lord. I'm gonna seek to be about him and God will work and kind of the overflow will minister to other people. And so this it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, continue on in uh, Ruth chapter three, verse one. And Naomi, uh, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? This is the turning point, right? It began in verse 20, but now how does Naomi go from being bitter to pleasant? Again, she turns outward. Naomi gets her mind off of herself, off of her loss, and she gets her mind onto someone else, and that's onto Ruth. She says, I need to find a husband for you. So she she goes into matchmaker mode. (laughs) You know, let's do this. But I love this because this is how it always happens. We can never find joy directly. Joy always comes as we serve God and serve others. As we're seeking it for ourselves and just one more product and one more thing and one more experience. And now I'll be happy. Not going to happen. Naomi turns outward. She says, I'm going to see about you, Ruth. And then the story just really, really climbs from here. Uh, and I, I love this. Uh, one thing to to include with verse one here is Philippians chapter two, verse four, where Paul instructs us, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so as, as Naomi looks out for the interests of others, then all of a sudden this beautiful change happens. All right, we'll move quickly. Now, Boaz, who's young women... Uh, you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice a place where he lies, and you shall go in and cover his feet, lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Okay, we read this, and we're like, weird, all right? <laughs> Okay, but in the culture, there's there's something very, very specific going on. Basically, you know, it's this time of of feasting, a time of harvest, a time of celebration. And Naomi's in a sense, I'm sorry, Ruth is in a sense proposing to Boaz. She's asking to be sheltered by him, to be taken under his wing. She's asking to, for him to perform the, the job of the kinsman redeemer, to redeem the land that they've lost, to raise up a child to her for her dead husband. That's all that she's asking. It's a lot of stuff. And so she's putting herself in this position. Think about how vulnerable she is. She's a vulnerable person in society going to this rich landowner and say, would you take me as your wife? Would you come and, 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 and take care of me and in doing so take care of our land, raise up a child to my dead husband, take care of my mother-in-law? That's a lot to ask. She is putting herself out there, but notice Ruth just says, I'll do it. So the humility of Ruth all throughout Verse 6 So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother in law had instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight when the man was startled, he turned himself, and there was a woman lying at his feet. <laughs> and, he, and, and he said, Who are you? <laughs> so he's not expecting anybody. And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. And he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end and at the beginning and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you request for all people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. So a lot going on here so far, but we notice he says, you you didn't go after the young men, whether poor or rich. So Boaz is a bit older, okay? He's a bit older, Right. Uh, but he says, you know, I, I, I do want to marry you. I will take you under my wing because why? Because she's virtuous. It's so beautiful He says that everyone knows that you're a virtuous woman. I would be proud to marry you because you're a woman of virtue. That's what he's saying here now. But he's also a virtuous man because notice what he says. He says, now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. So in other words, he wasn't as close as this other guy. So he wasn't willing to cook the books. Right, Boaz wasn't willing to, well, let's let's do a little work around because we're really meant to be together. No, Boaz wants to go through the proper channels. He wants to do things according to how the Lord set it up, that if he's going to marry Ruth, it's going to be on the right terms. He says, stay this night and the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So in other words, he's telling his workers, hey, don't tell them that Ruth was here because he wants to guard her integrity. Kind of would look shady, right? And so he's saying, hey, I don't want anyone to know about this. We've got to settle this issue. He said, also bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. This is another thing to notice about Ruth is that Ruth was into CrossFit (laughs) because this is a lot of barley that he puts on her back for her to carry back. So she was uh, a strong woman. Um, It says, and she came to her mother-in-law and she said, is that you, my daughter? And she told all that the man had done for her. And so, and she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty handed to your mother-in-law. And then here's Naomi. And she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. So it's exciting. You you, can imagine the electricity there in the home as Ruth and Naomi wait on how this is going to turn out. Now we move on to chapter four we'll move quickly boaz went up to the gate and sat down there and so boaz goes to the gate of the city so that he can kind of settle this issue because that's where these matters are dealt with this is where the elders gathered and here it is again this kind of happened quote unquote notice and behold the close relative of whom boaz had spoken came by (laughs) just love that i love the lord directing you know and it's like all right it's coming from stage left now and then here comes the guy so Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. And he came aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So this is an official thing. There's, there's witnesses, there's the elders of the city. They're gonna settle this matter once and for all. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold a piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. If you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it. I'm next after you. Okay, so in other words, they had to sell the land when they left. So they're coming back. They want to redeem the land. And so I love how Boaz, he's, he's a shrewd character. He just mentions the land first. Doesn't mention anything about Ruth yet. And so the guy says, yeah, I'll redeem it. You know, he's got money, he'll pay for it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field, From the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth and Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. In other words, you need to redeem it, and you need to raise up a child to her dead husband and all of that. And then the close relative said, I'm not going for that. Okay, I I can't redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance and redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He says, it's going to mess up kind of my own family's inheritance, so I'm not going to go for that. It says, and now this was the custom in the former times of Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off sandal and gave it to the other, and there was a confirmation in Israel. So you get to kind of walk home, you know, kind of going back and forth because you're missing a sandal. Um, but this is interesting because if you read in the book of the law, That whenever a person refused to kind of carry out the love right marriage, raising up a a child to the the dead relative, then they were actually to spit in their face. You take their sandal and then you spit in their face. Now, there's no need for that here because there's somebody to do that. And I don't think Boaz is a type of guy from everything we've seen. I don't think he's a type of guy to spit in somebody's face. So he does not do that. So therefore, the close relatives said to Boaz, buy it yourself. So he took off his sandal. Boaz and the elders and all the people, you are my witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth and Moabias, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the the dead through his inheritance, um, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day and all the people who were at the gate and the elders said we are witnesses the lord make the woman who is coming to your house like rachel and leah and the two who built the house of israel and may you prosper in ephrathah and be famous in bethlehem may your house be like the house of perez and whom tamar bore to judah because of the offspring which the lord will give you from this young woman and so they're all pumped about it right? All right. Boaz is going to, Boaz got a wife. He's going to marry Ruth and make she be prosperous and fruitful. And it's a wonderful thing. And then verse 13, here it is. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. So Ruth becomes a mother. That Ruth became a mother and Naomi became a grandmother. And it's interesting as you kind of think about this, it's Naomi is the grandmother to this child, but it's not necessarily that close of a relative, right? Because it's not her actual son, but she is the grandmother to this child. And so you see this beauty that happens in life that, that maybe sometimes we often kind of think about, oh, well, the, the people who are my closest in blood, that's who I'm closest to. It may not be that way. And it may be that other people become even closer. And so we see this beautiful picture here of, of this, the Lord in his gracious restoring of things. And then verses 14 through 15, I think are incredibly beautiful. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life. Man. And a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law, I love this, who loves you who is better to you than seven sons has born him. Just what a picture. I love that these women of the town, they didn't quit on Naomi when she entered bitterness. They didn't say, well, you're just super bitter and we're done with you. And, you know, you got to put on a happy face or I can't be around, you know, grumpy people. No, they, they come to her and they rejoice with her. It's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of what love can do. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name saying, there's a son born to Naomi. Look at, look at that phrasing. There's a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. And he's a father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. So there's some kind of piece, this is an incomplete genealogy, it's not, it doesn't have every single person in that line, but what we do see here, with the beautiful picture is, is this Moabitess woman, who was faithful, goes into the line of David, and therefore goes into the line of the Messiah. I mean, the incredible way that God in his graciousness works, where all these commentators, We'll be like, oh, just they made the wrong decision and going there and doing this thing. The Lord's bigger than that because you and I are gonna make wrong decisions. You and I have made wrong decisions. We are making wrong decisions and we're gonna make wrong decisions in the future. That's a reality. So if God's plan were thwarted because of our wrong decisions, we might as well give up. The fact of the matter is is God is so good that he can work these things out. He can work all things together for the good. And so this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of how God is willing to work even when we're bitter. Even when we're, when we're just sowing with God, he, he brings along a Ruth into our lives. He brings somebody to help us out of the mire. So I just want you to remember as we close, if you are a believer, then God is writing your story. And just like Naomi and Ruth's story, the end is going to be better than the beginning. I'll leave you with Revelation 21, verse four, a slight paraphrase. And God will wipe away every tear from your eyes and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things will have passed away.